What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. My name is Manuel Russin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and this All of the Above podcast is normally a video show, and we drop these passing periods in between our video episodes, and we do that because our video episodes, if you haven't checked them out yet, are super dope and have super dope guests. But we are here during winter break, we are in between semesters, and we are interrupting our our normal calendar flow because we are full-time educators, and we're dropping a few passing periods in a row just to keep folks you know, up to date with some things happening in the world of education that they might have missed. And I am here with Jeffrey Garrett. And Jeff, I know that like most educators out there, you are probably, hopefully, enjoying a a well-deserved break. And perhaps you have not been tapped into the education news as much as, as normal because you're taking taking a bit of a break from from all the craziness out there on social media and all that stuff. But, but I think, Jeff, we should take a moment during this winter break to check in on some of the stories out there with our audience, just so that folks don't feel like they've missed, you know, too much during these during these holidays. How's that sound to you, Jeff? Sounds great, man. Yes, I have. Uh, I've been decidedly unplugged for uh, for the last week. Today marks the one week mark since I made my uh, annual holiday pilgrimage to uh, the the frozen tundra of, uh, of mighty Minnesota, where I uh, was born and raised and, um, you know, have had a chance to, to come home and see family. And um, I am hoping, Manuel, uh, that I will also be able to see uh, some good friends out here, uh, which is always a highlight of the trip. I will say um, it has been a, a slightly panicked uh, last five days because uh, we did have a, a positive COVID test in the family mm. and, uh, you know, <laughs> varying layers of exposure and uh, lots of N95 masks and lots of driving around to different pharmacies to get rapid tests and get many people tested and lots of eating in separate rooms and, uh, you know, all of that. So, um Thankfully, it looks like we just have one positive test in the family, um, and I I just hit my five day mark post exposure, uh, so I'm I'm free and clear now. Um, tested negative twice today, I might add. Uh, nice, <laughs> so, nice. So that that's how fun it's been here in <laughs> in Minnesota, man. Well, running from Omicron. That's that's. I'm gonna write a memoir and call it <laughs> "Running from Omicron." Um, so you know, all all things considered, we are we're in good shape. The person with the positive test has been essentially symptom free. So, um, nice. Yeah, which is great and. You can imagine what would have happened if we didn't have these rapid tests and it just gone ahead and all had dinner around the table and whatnot, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, great, grateful that there are rapid tests. Not so grateful that they're twelve dollars a piece, but that's a story for another podcast, uh, Doctor Rustin. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And well, you know, folks listening know that we take these passing periods to kind of do deep dives. And normally we talk about one or two stories and we sort of talk about them 
um, at length because, you know, passing period offers us the opportunity to do that. And if you've never checked out our show before, our normal episode structure, we look at several headlines and we have a guest on to, uh, to do a deep dive on uh, particular topics. And then we have shout outs and all that stuff at the end. But the passing periods are, are pretty much one or two stories. But since it's winter break and here we are continuing all of the above, continuing to produce content during our winter breaks because, you know, we dedicated to this, like like some real dedicated educators out here. Um, we thought maybe for this one, we would just touch on a few different stories, maybe, you know, three or four, just a kind of quick hit, just to keep folks up to date for those who have been enjoying their breaks and staying off of social media or away from the more serious education news out there. Maybe just a, you know, a quick look at several headlines that are out there just to, you know, help you feel like you're caught up on the news of the day in the world of education. So that being said, Jeff, where, where do you want to start? Oh, man. Well, there's, there's so many good things. We, uh, I think we should start in the place in America, Manuel, where everything's just bigger, okay? Uh, mm. And uh, everything's big, everything's real extra, every everything's like America Plus, okay? America be, Plus, I love America, that. America <laughs> Plus. <laughs> That's like the latest streaming, the latest streaming That's service, right. America yeah. Plus for true yeah, patriots. A- Apple TV Plus, you know, so it's America Plus. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that being Bedwell, the uh, the state of Texas, okay, and okay. Uh, yeah, so you know some some funky news coming out of Texas. Quite frankly, just your just your casual dose of uh, you know school and library based fascism coming at you. Um, but uh, thankfully, we got some good reporting out of the Texas Tribune by one Allison Waller and Kevin Reynolds. Uh, so shout out to them. Um, who uh, just wrote a fascinating story reporting on the ripple effect, man. Well, I don't know what else to call it, uh, of the, you know, sort of right-wing hysteria around CRT and book bannings that had been very school board and schoolhouse focused is now bleeding into public libraries as well. And so uh, they do a bunch of reporting on different Texas communities. I have to say what they are, the communities they're naming in this report are definitely more small town, you know, or maybe like far, far suburbs uh, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of context. But nonetheless, um, Lano County, Texas, uh, they reported on... um, as well as, and now of course I'm, I'm losing the name, uh, Victoria, Texas as well. And uh, these are communities that are like, you know, maybe an hour, hour and a half outside of Austin and then outside of San Antonio, respectively. Um, but, you know, these are places where folks are closing libraries to do reviews of books. Um, People are proposing and starting to lobby like public commissioners and things who oversee libraries, Uh, similarly to the push we've seen in, you know, in school board meetings to ban books that are, you know, sort of, quote unquote, controversial or, you know, uh, you know, teaching kids content that um, that folks say is inappropriate to teach them about race, about sexuality, about history. Um, etc. So, you know, a sort of perfect encapsulation of this, Manuel, that I might share from, <laughs> from this story is uh, one, one of these, um, you know, parent activists wanted to remove the book 
uh, called The Black Flamingo by Dean Atta. Uh, a coming-of-age novel about a mixed-race gay teen who becomes a drag artist. After reading the book, this parent said she was opposed to it because to her it seemed to, quote, sexualize children, especially into alternate lifestyles, and make them want to be someone else than who they were born to be, end quote. Okay, now, um, thankfully, Manuel, <laughs> cooler heads are prevailing in some places, and people who believe that uh, being woke, uh, black, brown, and or gay, or all of the above, are not things that you can catch by reading books, <laughs> nor are these things that are bad that we need to hide from our children. Um, so, you know, it, thankfully, people who believe that uh, seem to be ruling the day for now. But the expanding focus on this, the ripple effect of this, the chilling effect that this is having is now spilling into public libraries. And as a history teacher, Manuel, I'm sure um, there's no historical examples of this being incredibly dangerous that you can think of or share with us uh, <laughs> here in the good old United States of America, where just today I saw a giant inflatable Santa Claus holding an American flag in its left hand with an eagle on its right shoulder. Wow. Uh, in, in the land of freedom. <laughs> okay. well, so, Dr. Rustin, comment, please. I mean, Santa has always been a true devoted American patriot, Jeffrey. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, <laughs> North Pole, the North Pole is full of, of bald eagles. Um, That's right. He's, he's that true American, Jeff. Um, yeah, it's, you know, hearing a parent worry that kids reading The Black Flamingo will somehow tip them into alternative alternative lifestyles that, what did the parents say? Uh, alternate lifestyles and make them want to be someone else than who they were born to be. Yeah, Jeff, um, reading doesn't really work that way. Um, you know, when when we read Moby Dick as as children, me and my, my friends, we didn't go out there and start uh, trying to be well hunters and, you know, reading Frankenstein in high school. I didn't go out there and start trying to create monsters and reading all those timeless H.G. Wells science fiction novels didn't make me want to be a Martian or um, create time travel in that kind of sense. Like reading doesn't really work that way. So if a parent is concerned that their kid would read something and then be, I guess, indoctrinated into being gay or being trans or being quote unquote uh, someone else than who they were born to be, whatever that means. Yeah, I guess I would have to ask, like, what kind of parenting is that? Like, if you think your 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 young ones are so influenced by the uh, written word that, like, reading something that related to sexuality is going to make them, like, change their sexuality. Yeah, that's, I guess, I ha have a lot of questions for those parents. But in any case, I'm pleased to see that it sounds like a lot of cooler heads are prevailing in, in these battles. It's not a giant surprise that there are folks going to local board meetings and what have you and trying to get books pulled off the shelves in their libraries. Obviously, anybody listening to this knows it's a ridiculous notion to try to ban particular books, especially books that are uh, representative of voices that are historically um, omitted and historically marginalized. Like, that's like the idea of trying to restrict and, and 
ban books, burn books, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, there's a whole history of societies that have done that in an attempt to um, basically, um, in a fascist attempt to destroy destroy identities that veer away from the state being all powerful and those in power being all powerful and worship of of that culture only. Uh, it always ends up, it always ends bad. In any case, this story about the impact that the CRT hysteria, the CRT nonsense, the impact that it has had on local libraries, I will obviously worry about the ongoing ripple effects of this. I do hope that we start to see fairer reporting from folks in the media around this because I do think these voices that are out there at these meetings trying to get certain books banned or whatever, I do think they represent a minority of voices. And as folks far more eloquent than I have pointed out, a lot of these conversations about what parents want, quote unquote parents, um, they kind of just assume that parents are like these white conservative parents. They don't really, they aren't inclusive of all those parents of color that are out there, all those parents who want their kids to learn about uh, various lifestyles and, and learn and see themselves in these stories. So these so-called parents who are up in arms about this and that, I think the their numbers are much smaller than reality. However, uh, of course, you know, journalists are drawn to anything that looks messy and seeing rooms full of, of quote unquote parents demanding that this curriculum get changed or these books get pulled or whatever. Like that's an enticing story. Those are enticing photos and those are enticing headlines. And we see a lot of reporting that just, I don't think is representative of the reality on the ground. So I know in my own context, most of the families that uh, send their young people to our school, like they are not with this like CRT hysteria nonsense at all. Like they don't, they, they for sure are glad that we have Ethnic studies, for example, they for sure are glad that if they walk into our school library, they'll see a, a mural with with a whole bunch of really dope voices from throughout history, including uh, going back to Toy Perina, who was a, a Tongva um, a rebel against uh, Spanish colonialism. So, so yeah, I mean, this is kind of whack. I think that <laughs> I don't know what else to say besides that. It's it's, it's whack. Decidedly whack. Yeah, it, it is, yeah. and I think the best the best set of quotes in here, Manuel, is is I guess not really a set of quotes, but the best like factoid uh, from this article is that so this group of of parents organizing in Victoria, Texas, uh, compiled a list of more than two hundred books that they found inappropriate, ranging from picture books to young adult books. Okay, so two hundred books they want gone, uh, and then said, and I quote. Uh, I'm hoping that the library sees that we're not trying to censor books, that we're trying to protect our children. I mean, the library was one of the last places that we could feel safe. Okay? So I just, like, with no irony in the voice, I'm sure, that quote was <laughs> was said. Well, yeah. They're not uh, censoring anything, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just want to cover up stuff and hide <laughs> it. We're not censoring. We just want these 200 books removed uh, altogether so no one can read them. That's not censoring. And, no. And, just like religious freedom. <laughs> religious freedom is yes. totally like using your religion um, to oppress others. But, yeah. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And, of course... Um, you know, the way to make the library safe is to take out all representation of LGBTQ youth so that they can, they can, what, hate themselves and not see any positive images of themselves. And then the library will be safe. 
So this is where we are, folks. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, I, there, there's a, probably a more precise, generous word that we could use for it, but uh, crazy is going to suffice today in this in this holiday season man well yes, so um so yeah so we got you know interesting news out of texas uh and hopefully the libraries can hold firm out there but uh we have some some other stories here well jeff uh, real quick well. before before we get to these other stories uh first of all i want to tell folks support your local library i think these Word. folks in the story are definitely a, a numerical minority and yeah, um, support your local library. Also, Jeff, before we even get into the next story, I was just checking my email. I haven't been checking my email much during break because, you know, it's break. And I keep getting harassed. I keep getting these emails that are like trying to get money from me. Um, let me read one of them. Uh, U.S. Department of Education. Uh, subject line, Manuel, get ready for your loan servicer to change. Get ready for your student loans to kick back in. Get ready for your payments to uh, restart. Uh, I just got a whole list of these emails from the U.S. Department of Education, um, but then they kind of got quiet really recently. So um, I don't know what I should do about that, Jeff. I don't know why they are pressing me for this money right now in the middle of a pandemic. But anyways, I just wanted to just let you know I'm getting harassed and abused in these emails here. Excellent, excellent question. Excellent segue. Um, I don't know why you're getting these emails either, because one Joseph R. Biden, who sits in one very large White House in uh, nation's capital of Washington, D.C., uh, on December 22nd, let uh, our lovely banker friends know that he is extending the pause, okay, on mm. uh, the repayment of federal student loans an additional 90 days meaning from um you know it it was supposed to go into uh effect or the end of the pause i guess i should say was supposed to happen uh in the rollover to the new year that is now being extended to may 1st of 2022 uh if you've been on twitter at all over uh, the holiday season, you've probably seen a million and one tweets that are like, I mean, thanks, but like, dude, how about we just cancel it all together, bro? Like, <laughs> clearly nobody's been paying on these loans for like six months. And, or I guess, you know, by the time this that. is done, yeah, it'll be like eight months. And uh <laughs> The world has not fallen apart. The sky has not fallen. Somehow, in that sense, somehow the bankers are still super rich, man. Well, can you imagine that? They're still incredibly wealthy, even though you and millions of other people haven't been paying their student loans, right? Uh, so, <laughs> I, I don't know. What do you? I thankfully, uh, you know, by by uh, really just spending far more of my money than I should uh, per month on loan repayment, just trying to get out ahead of time. I paid off my massive uh, uh, undergrad and grad school loans um, a, a couple of years ago now. Um, so I have been free from the noose uh, of higher education, uh, but I know many people are not. And so uh, as someone who, uh, who does have loans to repay uh dr rustin how are you feeling about this and and what say you to uh one joseph r biden yeah well i i also had my student loan my undergrad in in our 
uh, master's program, student loans paid off. And then I made the, I don't know what to call it, um, financially irresponsible mistake of going back to school for my doctorate degree. Actually, I don't, I don't, it wasn't a mistake. I don't regret that at all. I really love my doctorate program um, at UCLA. So shout out to uh, UCLA Educational Leadership Program. And uh, anybody who is considering getting an EDD and you aren't quite sure if it's right for you, uh, feel free to reach out for me. I'll definitely give you my two cents. Anyways, Jeff, uh, so that's where my student loans um, are from because that three-year uh, program, yeah, I paid for it mostly through student loans. And I guess like many voices out there, I will just add to the chorus of folks saying, look, especially to the Democratic Party, especially to the multiple Democrats who ran for president, almost all of whom said they would either cancel student loans outright or partially cancel. And I remember at one point the call from a lot of folks uh, on the more progressive uh, side of things was to cancel out 50 grand, uh, 50 grand in student loans. And at some point I remember uh, somebody within the Biden camp said something about possibly canceling 10, 10 grand, which, you know, for, for many folks, that's a drop in the bucket to, uh, because of the amount of loans that they have. Uh, for me, it wouldn't be a drop in the bucket. Like I, you know, that would be helpful for me in any case, but here we are now in the second year of the Biden presidency. And it just really looks like all that was just talk, like just talk to like, you know, stir up the the base of the uh, Democratic Party and get us to go out there and vote. And just, I'm, I'm so tired of the excuses for why we can't meaningfully address student debt and meaningfully address like the just ballooning costs of sending your young person off to college. Like this is, you know, I'm, I'm happy that there is, you know, this six month pause or whatever, but like, this is falling way short of expectations. And especially in a world where the Pentagon continues to receive so much money. Like, well, I don't have the number yeah, off the top of my head. I think it was like it, 780, if I remember correctly. Uh, I'll, and I'll and that's just for this calendar year. Pontificate. Yes. <laughs> and we're not current. We are even, we are not currently at war. It has been, although we just exited 20 years of war, in the sense of how long it's been since we've had massive numbers of forces and equipment going around to invade another country. Like it's been, the Pentagon has has had a relatively, relatively folks, I'm just saying relatively quiet couple of years on that front. So why do they need just increasing amounts of money? And it's just, um, it's so frustrating to see so much money just without question going to military, going to policing. We could talk about local budgets here and how the LAPD continues to get more money despite the the talking points that they've somehow been defunded um, while so many young folks are, are struggling, um, drowning under student debt. I, speaking for myself, yes, I could handle my student loan um, debt right now. And I'm in a place where I've, I was fortunate enough to buy a home uh, when the market was really low long time ago. And like financially, I'm in an all right place. But I'm thinking about all those students that have crossed my classroom, gone off to college like we told them to, and are struggling right now to afford rent, to afford even dreaming of one day buying a place and are just drowning in so much debt and so little is being done about it. It's just I'm just so, so tight. And I know I'm not the only one saying it, 
but I'm just so, so exhausted and tired of the nonsense of like how we could just make up money for invading countries. But when it comes to using money to actually help Americans in the United States, it's like, well, how are we going to pay for that? How are we going to pay for that? It's very frustrating, Jeff. It's very frustrating. Yeah. So in, in lieu, or not in lieu, in uh, in the shadow of your uh, profound comments there, Manuel, I will say I misspoke earlier. It wasn't $780 billion. So, you know, my bad, uh, Congress and, and uh, President Biden. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I, I made a mistake and I, I made it seem like you were wasting all of our money on stupid bombs and jets and experimental <laughs> helicopters that will never fly. It wasn't 780 billion, well, it was 768 billion, which was 25 billion more than President Biden requested in the budget okay so so how does that work like more than he even requested <laughs> yeah, at a yeah. time when we don't even have troops in afghanistan anymore if anything the numbers should have dramatically gone down yet I mean, it went up but how could we not forgive student loans if we weren't spending all of our money on Man. wars that aren't happening uh and you know just freedom in general so that's a that's a question that doesn't need answering. I just want you to think about it as you as you dream tonight of how grateful you are to to make your upcoming loan payments in in May. Man, and it it should at least at minimum. I know there's the you know public service loan forgiveness thing and and other things for for educators, but it's like so many hoops to jump through, so many particulars about it. At minimum, it should be like if we could verify you work at a public school, let's just start there. Let's just wipe out the the student debt for like public school teachers, folks, you know, folks who work in public service. I don't just mean public school teachers, but like social workers, like folks who work in public service. Maybe we could at least start there. Like, what is the what is the holdup? Like, why are we acting like, and I don't mean we, obviously, but why are the people in power acting like this is doing too much and this is impossible when tuitions, I mean, just whatever, let me just shut up. It's just very frustrating. <laughs> excellent, excellent end to that segment. Uh, Dr. Rustin, let me just shut up. It's very frustrating. That, that, <laughs> that phrase could be used about like probably 90% of our political context right Man. now in education or otherwise uh but uh, you know yes that's 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 where we are but hey you know till till may 1st uh it could be worse i guess right they could have thrown 41 million student borrowers off a cliff with a happy new year and a pat on the back so you know i guess it's okay i guess it's okay we'll go with that We'll go yeah. with that. May 1st. This story is not done yet either, obviously. I, I'm hoping that this is just buying time for the Biden administration realizing that Build Back Better is like done and gone because of various reasons. Hopefully this is buying time for him to figure out his executive authority to make big, progressive, bold moves because otherwise, like, what's the difference of six months? What's the difference? Yeah. Yep. Uh, word. Well, should we uh, should we pivot to our third uh, story of of this holiday passing period? Something you know, I want to hear something about like hero educator out there, 
making students feel good as they go into the holidays. Give me something nice, Jeff. What we got? What we got? I, that would be great. I'm sure there's a million stories. I saw something on Twitter about a teacher that was outside on the play yard and like hit a half court shot with the kids. Oh, I saw that. All, that was cute. They all celebrated. Yeah, yeah I, I had to watch it with the sound off, uh, so I didn't get the full effect. But I was like, yeah, that's cute. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't really know anything about that story. So, <laughs> so we're not going to talk about that story. We are <laughs> going to. Going to talk about uh, a story out of uh, the D.C. public school system that uh, you you may or may not have heard about the week before winter break, uh, or no, I guess it was the week prior to that, uh, but, you know, in close proximity to winter break and in close proximity to uh, Hanukkah, well, you know, a I suppose from a, from a more... Um, traditional religious sense, not not the biggest, most important uh, holy day of the year for uh, for Jewish people, but nonetheless, certainly a major holiday, right? Um, and, you know, <laughs> a teacher in uh, Washington, D.C., elementary teacher, a teacher of third graders at Watkins Elementary School, um, decided... Uh, <laughs> That they wanted to be under investigation is really what this teacher <laughs> did <laughs> by telling third grade students to reenact incidents from the Holocaust. Okay, um, the teacher uh, allegedly assigned specific roles to students while in uh, apparently in the library, casting one student, of course, I mean, because of course, right, as Adolf Hitler. Just let that marinate for a moment. So. I don't know which unfortunate kid got to be Hitler, but like, you know, that happened. Uh, and then directed students to dig mass graves and simulate shooting victims, uh, according to some reporting in the Washington Post. Um, the parents uh, of one of the students told the paper their child said the staff member made an anti-Semitic remark, you know? It might be anti-Semitic if, if you are having students, elementary age students, third graders, reenact a genocide for entertainment purposes, you know, some, some kind of like supposedly fun, engaging activity in the classroom. This is a, this is just a, a, a wild story, man. We've, we've talked about a bunch of these kinds of things in recent years, you know, people trying to reenact the middle passage and teachers dressing up as a border wall and all, all kind of stuff. But, um, you know, honestly, I thought Manuel, and I will get your take on this, that, um, that people had just decided that they were going to like elevate their racism and stuff, you know, a little bit and like, you know, not reenact the Holocaust. Like, the, <laughs> you know, I mean, that you thought, you, you thought. thought, right. You thought, um, so, you know, I just, I just feel like, come on, man. The, uh, <laughs> the district, of course, was not having it uh, and said that students should never be tasked with acting out any atrocity, especially genocide and war. Additionally, there were allegations of a staff member using hate speech during the lesson, which is unacceptable and not tolerated at our school. So, I mean, one should hope that that would be the message uh, from the district. Uh, or from from the school because um, it that actually came from the principal uh, Scott yeah. Berkowitz. Okay, so this teacher 
just was trying to get fired. <laughs> that's all. That's all I can say here, Manuel. Yeah, you have to like you have to wonder what was going through their head because, I mean, there's just so many questions here. Uh, obviously, I guess we can make some assumptions about the teacher thinking that this would be a good way for students to learn about this content, which obviously it's not. I'm wondering, did they think that the role playing part would make it more engaging? And to your something you said earlier, like engagement kind of like inherently means some aspect of it is also kind of fun. That's why it's engaging because you're enjoying the experience. So to think that kids would have fun reenacting an atrocity, you just got to wonder what what was going on in the educator's head, uh, quote unquote educator, I guess we could say. And also I just wonder like how long before we, like we got to run out of these type of stories at some point, right? Like by now more and more teachers got to know that the whole role play thing doesn't, doesn't work. Like it's not something that you need to be doing around, especially around atrocities. And especially in this era where like, you know, it, there's, there's cameras everywhere, there's phones everywhere, there's social media, there's all this stuff. So I would think if nothing else, a teacher who does harbor hateful views and anti-Semitic views and maybe sees the Holocaust as something that's not as terrible as what everybody else is, whatever, what I got to think at least they'd be like, yeah, but let me not do this because, you know, a parent might hear about it and, and go to Facebook or social media with it. At some point, we got to run out of these stories, right? Like folks got to know, like, this is obviously not going to fly unless perhaps the teacher in this case, or it said, the story said school librarian. So I so I don't know if that means like the school librarian had the students for like a particular part of the day and thought like, oh, let me do something like this. It'll be fun and engaging. Or if this school librarian also has like a full set of kids that they teach all day. But in any case, like this guy, like teachers have to know by now that even if you don't think it's a bad idea, somebody else might and therefore just don't try it. But in any case, third graders reenacting these sorts of things, it doesn't matter that they're third graders. Third grade, them being in third grade makes it obviously even more appalling, but they could be seniors in high school and it would be just as wrong, obviously. Um, yeah, man, it's really wild. I gotta, I gotta wonder what this, what this, this person was thinking, man. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There, so a little more information here. This, this I'm seeing reported on Blavity. So you know, take that for what it's worth. But uh, the uh, the librarian, yes, was identified as Kimberlyn Jerkowski, and uh, she is accused of uh, having assigned this lesson to the students and telling them. And this was uh, presumably the allegation of hate speech. That, quote, the Holocaust happened because Jews ruined Christmas. All right. So. Wow. What more need be said? <laughs> yes, I think that pretty much. <laughs> what more need be Whoa. said? Oh, God. Okay. All right, folks. That was a story. Um, yeah. Uh, nobody listening to this would ever do something as atrocious uh, for short. But if you have a young person in the school system and you see any problematic uh, curriculum or experiences that they're sharing with you, uh, yeah, man, report that stuff. Because if there's one educator that gets caught doing this type of stuff, there's probably several others out there somewhere. So yes, uh, I'm hoping this school librarian is out of a job. I'm hoping that they won't be interacting with young people again. And I'm hoping that those young people have, it sounds like they do have um, folks around them, folks at home and other folks in the school system that could help explain to them how all, the, all that experience was was not the best experience and uh, help them 
understand in their own way the the seriousness of the content, um, despite whatever students might have experienced in the in the episode itself. Damn, Jeff. Hey, hey um, you know what? You know what ruined Christmas, Manuel? Um, I'm here to officially certify it was not the Jews. Uh, okay. <laughs> it was definitely COVID. So get vaccinated, people. That's and wear your masks. And uh, remember that our average daily infection rate uh, today is significantly higher than it was uh, one year ago, despite us having, you know, 70% or whatever of eligible adults in the country vaccinated right now. So uh, instead of anti-Semitic uh, trash rhetoric and conspiracy theories, maybe we could talk about the actual pandemic that's right in front of us. Uh, just, a, just a thought, though. We can try to, Jeff. However, there's a lot of folks out there that'll say these um, vaccine mandates are basically the same as what happened in the Holocaust because, yes. you know, <laughs> oppression. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> oh, God. There is something kind of like, I know it's not actually funny, but it's just kind of funny about like real oppressor types talking about being oppressed in ways that are just like uh, objectively not oppression. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> there's something I have to laugh at. Otherwise, I'd probably cry, but it's it's funny. Yeah, so let's get out of here, Jeff, with just a quick update on where we are with COVID and the school system. Because a lot of us educators, myself included, we are in the middle of our winter break and we are seeing these case numbers go up every day. And we're hearing talk of... Well, we're hearing a lot of different things about, yeah, the cases are rising, but hospitalizations aren't, or they are. I don't know. It kind of depends on your locale, I guess. So like, you know, all this, all these conflicting messages about how serious this current wave is. And of course, we've got like about a week and some change left before, uh, at least out here in, in my part of the world, uh, before students are, are back in the schoolhouse, Jeff. So what do we got in terms of... COVID updates related to the uh, education system? Yeah, well, uh, the general thing for us to note is that Omicron and its good friend Delta are raging right now. And we are, uh, you know, we're seeing, uh, as I said, higher two-week average infection rates um, today than we saw one year ago and we can all remember how you know nutty it was one year ago and and how you know many places around the country were um you know icus were uh were overrun etc etc so um that is happening right now and i think we just want to encourage everybody to get your vax get your booster wear your masks uh we're still in the pandemic and thankfully man well we got some from my perspective at least interesting, if not very good news, coming out of the state of California uh, on the on the pandemic front, which is uh, on on kind of two two angles here. So one is that the state of California is going to be providing at home COVID tests one or two, which is kind of an interesting level of ambiguity, but one or two at home COVID tests to every kid in the state after winter break. So, you know, the details, this was reported in EdSource as kind of a news blurb over the last week. So the details of this, I think, are still uh, still to be better understood and the logistics of how and when this is going to happen. But presumably, given the at-home nature, they, these would be rapid antigen tests, I'm assuming. Um, and, you know, I think 
this could be a good thing, Manuel, because people will have just come from uh, extended time indoors because of the cold weather or rainy weather, uh, wherever right. they may be, uh, gathered around tables, eating, can't wear a mask while you're putting food in your mouth, right? So like, this is probably the highest risk window of time. And we don't want to just send everybody back into school with like, you know, COVID raging and, and potentially risk outbreaks at school, right? So right. this could be good. I'm left with all kinds of questions about like how, when, you know, how, you know, even on the back end, like, so we give out all these tests. Are we gathering the data at the state level to know who's positive, who's not, you know, these kinds of things. So many questions, but hey, at least it's like an effort because these at-home tests, yeah. as I said earlier, are like $12 a pop, man. And even someone like me with, you know, with resources, I've spent, you know, I've been testing like daily on this on this trip and I've spent, you know, well over $100 on COVID tests. So, um, you know, this is yeah, this is a real barrier for people who don't have, you know, disposable income in that way. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, it's it's I'm certainly not against giving giving tests to families so that they could test at home. And, you know, looking forward to more details about that, because I certainly haven't heard anything about that from from my district. I don't know. I don't know that it's necessarily up to my district to I don't know. Maybe they don't know much about this either besides like it was said. So hopefully it happens soon um, because like I said, I got about a week before school kicks back up. And also in addition to that, we're hearing, you know, it seems like every day when I do look at what's going on in the world of ed education, I see another college or school system, a uh, higher education system saying that they'll start remotely. So out here in California, uh, USC, they said they're going to start one week remote before students come back to campus in order to provide some time for folks to uh, get tested and what have you. The Cal State University system and the University of California system, uh, most of their campuses have also said they're going to uh, start off the semester remote for it's looking like one week, uh, which I guess is their way of giving folks time to test and to um, you know just, I guess, each school, each campus, make sure that, that things are safe before folks pop back on campus and the Cal State University system and the University of California system are now going to require a booster shot. So every student that is going to be on campus is going to have to show proof of a third shot um, by February 28th, it looks like. So I don't know if that is going to sort of foreshadow what we might see in the K-12 space. As of right now, I don't just personally, I, I don't know, but I also personally don't anticipate that my school district will start the semester off remotely. I don't know what I would prefer. I feel part of me feels like starting one week remote like the college system is doing makes sense for folks to get their tech, like take that week to distribute these at home tests to folks to, you know, have folks get tested and have some clarity, I guess, hopefully some kind of clarity before everybody shows back up on campus. Part of me thinks that makes a lot of sense. And then part of me thinks, I don't know that that really changes anything because if it is an at-home test, like, you know, what if, I mean, I guess the, the onus will be on the household to inform the school district that it came back positive, right? Because like, I mean, I guess it's just, you know, honor system that you tested and that you came back 
not positive. Also with the, the you know, the five-day incubation period or, or whatever that window is with, with Omicron, I don't know how accurate it'll necessarily be because somebody could test, you know, on that Friday and be good, but actually have it and then show up to school Monday. So part of me wonders if it's a bit of a false sense of security, pausing things for one week and then getting going. Like, I don't know if that's going to make a huge difference, but again, I'm admitting here, I do not know. I'm a high school history teacher. I'm not a public health official. I don't know what's going to be best. I also worry that if we do start remotely for a week or what have you, then will it be more difficult to actually, I'm just thinking back to last school year where the plan was to start remotely, but because of how the cases were trending or how they went, that kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. So if we do start remotely for one week, is it kind of inevitable that that'll get pushed back to after Martin Luther King weekend and then push it back to February until, you know, I'm just, the uncertainty yeah. is the most I, difficult part, but that's the uncertainty we've been dealing with since 2020. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the, that feeling of a little bit of uncertainty, I feel like it's kind of creeping in now because it's hard to look at the national numbers and feel like, well, you know, we should just keep doing what we're doing, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, the risk is growing, right? It does feel to me a little bit like we have better technology today on two very critical fronts both on the vaccination front, right? And kids, yeah. you know, uh, even younger kids can get vaccinated now. I know we don't have boosters for most kids, but certainly the vaccination is at least dramatically reducing the likelihood uh, that children are gonna be like very deeply ill from this, right? Which, which is like most of the way to a solution, right? It's not all the way there, but this is the most of the way. So that's great. And we have you know, reliable, at least F FDA authorized for emergency use, right? Um, right. Rapid COVID testing. And I'm like, we need to like dramatically expand rapid testing, right? So, you know, if we come back and we continue to push hard on vaccination for kids, we institute vaccine mandates for older kids, frankly, in, in my opinion, and we are using really frequent rapid testing like i'm thinking three to five days a week everybody who comes into you know into school should be taking a rapid test right like then we can actually do real contact tracing and we and the kinds of things that they are starting to propose now around students testing to return to school and the cdc released some you know very sort of high level guidance around um you know, you want to keep kids in school, cool, but like, let's test them every day. You know what I mean? Like, why are we taking risks? Uh, we have the ability to do this. It's a matter of, I think, of will and of, you know, controlling the costs on these things by not letting these corporations charge whatever they want. So, um, you know, I read somewhere online, don't have this, you know, don't quote me on this, but this, this person who claimed to be a healthcare professional said COVID rapid tests cost 80 cents to produce. You know, so I'm like, let's give them 20 cents, okay, for, for overhead. <laughs> and let's say we, they should cost a yeah. dollar each, right? So $5 a week for every kid in America, right? Like, that's a lot of money. But also, like we said earlier, we just gave $768 billion to a Pentagon that doesn't need it and didn't even ask for that much. So, like, <laughs> we could pay yeah. for frequent rapid testing for kids and educators, right? And really keep COVID out of the schools. So, you know... 
Good news on this front. I'm happy we're continuing to progress here. And I feel like let's, you know, why do it halfway? Like, let's just, let's go all the way, man. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm with that. I'm with that. I'm also, I guess, a little less less worried than I was this time last year, just knowing yeah. that despite the the numbers, like you said, the vaccine and boosters have apparently made a really big difference in terms of hospitalizations in Los Angeles County, where both you and I live. We have, I'm just looking right now at the latest um, out of, from the LA Times, but it's 849 people are currently hospitalized with COVID-19 in LA County. Now, 849, we're talking about a population of 10 million, over 10 million in the county. So uh, numbers wise, like it's, it's, it's not looking as, as dire as it was this time last year. So I'm hopeful, but again, just the uncertainty is, is wild. And yeah, those tests, let's make them super available. Let's, let's build up a robust testing system so that we can hopefully reduce some of the uncertainty by being really clear on uh, contract tracing and, and all of that and just uh, put safety first. But yeah, we'll see what happens. A dollar for a test. Sounds good to me, Jeff. We'll see if that happens. Uh, spoiler alert, it's probably not going to happen, but um, you never know. You never know. So yeah, anything yeah. else before we get out of here, out of here Jeff? You know, Manuel still got uh, look looking ahead here at one additional full week of vacation ahead of me, and I could not be nice. happier about that fact, Manuel. And then when I get back to California, I'm gonna have a couple of days of chilling and watching outstanding college football, and I plan to vegetate. Uh, <laughs> I, pl I plan to get to know my couch extremely well uh, <laughs> before I have nice. to, you know, dust myself off and really go back to work. So that's what I got coming up, man. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Com coming out of my COVID quarantine and uh, I should say COVID exposure quarantine and uh, and then, you know, enjoying vacation, man. It's a beautiful thing. Sounds wonderful. Sounds wonderful. Um, enjoy that vacation. And folks, everybody out there who's who's listening, I I, I hope you are having a um, winter break or a holiday season that, that you need, whatever that might look like for you. And we certainly hope that everybody's doing relatively well um, out there in the AOTA family. We love y'all. We will probably be back with another passing period Sometime, sometime soon. Uh, this one here is kind of just checking in with you, checking in with each other during during this break. But yeah, uh, if we don't, if you don't hear from us before uh, New Year, we do want to say Happy New Year's to all of you. And yeah, let's hope for a more humanizing, loving 2022 because 2021, a bit rough, a bit rough, as was 2020 and as was 2019. I guess we've had a, a string of relatively rough years, but hopefully uh, we'll get somewhere positive this year. So hopefully everyone is continuing to enjoy uh, time with family or friends or, or whatever, and we will catch you next time. It it would normally be time to get to class, but really this is just time for you to go ahead and get back to your break. <laughs>